All right, well, good morning, good morning. Good to see all of you. Welcome to this time of worship and the Word, being together. Y'all happy? Yeah? Thank you for coming. I was uh, talking to someone earlier at the, before the first service about somebody who was depressed, and I said, you want to know depression, start a church. Yeah, you uh, you find yourself standing there, go Jesus. Will anybody come today? And and uh, Lord, come back right now, and and all of those things. But God uses, you know, God uses all that in our life. If everything was easy, wouldn't be worth anything, would it? Hey, um, take your Bibles and open them to Second Thessalonians chapter two. If you have a Bible, uh, really want to encourage you to bring your Bible with you. I know a lot of you use your phones, and that's helpful. But sometimes uh, just Going old school is really good because you get to write in it. Just also a reminder, if you are on your phone or on your tablet, you can go to our app and you can just swipe right. And on the left side, you'll see sermons and the entire notes that we have for today are there. So, and then you can take notes below at the bottom of that. So it's really convenient, really easy. A lot of people are trying to take pictures of the screen. You don't have to, you can. Um, but they're right there, so just trust me. Tr- check it out and see what you think. So today, it's, uh, it's a lot of stuff. Can you say a lot of stuff? All right, I'm gonna give you a lot of good, solid teaching, and some of you are gonna go, I don't know if I'm ready for this. You are. Just take it a little bit at a time, take notes, think about it, and I'm gonna try to walk through a lot of material for you uh, in a short amount of time. So we're talking, we're in a series called Kingdom Discipleship, and it's this workbook that I've written, and you can get a copy of it if you want. It's 10 lessons. We've gone through the 10 lessons. Now we're going to cover some of the philosophy behind it, some of the teachings that Jesus taught, and why his disciples were so motivated to take the gospel everywhere they went for the kingdom of God. Now, What you have to understand, and you probably know this already, but the Word of God is gonna be central to your forward movement as a believer. But so is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes at salvation to indwell you. And he is your teacher, he's your guide, he's your leader. And as he interprets Scripture for you, he makes application in your life. But the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, can be quenched. Imagine a fire burning hot and somebody pours water on it. You're quenching the fire. So sometimes the Holy Spirit's working with the word that you have in your heart, but what you're doing is you're quenching what he wants to do. You're putting out the fire inside of you. Sometimes you can grieve the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, and what that means is that because we're not following his direction, we're grieving him, and think about the Holy Spirit crying. Think in that term, and it helps it a lot, makes it a lot easier for you. So he's weeping because he knows what's best for you. Now, with that in mind, Jesus told the disciples, the Holy Spirit is with you now, John 14, and he will be in you. So the, the Holy Spirit is designed by God, okay, and the Holy Spirit is God, to live inside of you, to dwell in you as a believer, to teach you and to lead you in where, the way you'll go. But what happens when you don't? I wanna take a big picture of the Holy Spirit versus an individual picture of the Holy Spirit, and I wanna teach you something about the Holy Spirit. 
One of the most interesting verses in the Bible for me is found in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis chapter six and verse three, it says these words, my spirit, my spirit will not always strive with man. Now think about that. God says my spirit is not always going to be persuading you You're not gonna feel my presence all the time. If I withdraw my presence, you're going to notice that. So in Genesis chapter six, we're introduced to Noah and his family and the great flood. And so wickedness had gotten so great on the earth that God reminded mankind, my spirit will not strive with you. In other words, I'm going to remove my presence and I'm gonna bring judgment on the earth in the form of a great flood. And we know the story of Noah and the ark. When Jesus was asked about his return and about the end times, he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So if we wanna understand something about his coming, we go back and we study Noah. We study the times he was in. We study what was going on. Wickedness had risen to a high level. God said, I'm gonna take my spirit out of the world in terms of my presence. So what we can understand is at the end of time when God's judgment comes on the earth because of man's sin, that his spirit somehow will not strive with man. That God is not going to be pushing man toward the kingdom, but rather withdrawing. Now let's make a personal application. In your life as an individual, have you ever had those times where you just felt like God was a million miles away and you thought it was on him and really it was on you? It was because you were not pressing into God. But you know sometimes the Holy Spirit steps back in your life and makes you hungry and thirsty for his presence. He wants to be wanted by you. He wants to be loved by you. But if you keep pushing away, God will just kind of pull, step back and let you feel what it feels like to have his presence absent from your life. It's not out of judgment, it's out of love. He's trying to pull you in. He's trying to bring you in to to that love relationship that you can only have when you love him back. So now think about that in the context of Genesis. Now let's fast forward from the book of Genesis, the days of Noah. Let's fast forward into the future, end time events, another passage about the Holy Spirit and his presence being removed, and then we're gonna drill down into this today and study a little bit deeper. Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse seven says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Now, it's interesting, let's just pause there and think about what is being said here. The mystery of lawlessness, we're living in a world that is becoming more and more lawless, aren't we? Now, the Bible calls that a mystery of lawlessness because who's behind the lawlessness? We think, well, it's because of the laws, it's because of this, it's because of that. No, those are only the surface of that problem. Behind all of that is evil constantly trying to press, trying to get a foothold in society and in your life, right? So we have to understand our battle is not physical, but our battle is what? Spiritual. 
So we're contending against forces of evil in our daily lives. Now notice what else it says. Only he, and this is the Holy Spirit, who now restrains. So what's the Holy Spirit doing? He's restraining evil, isn't he? He's restraining evil by his presence. He's restraining evil by him being in you. Do you realize you as a Christian are restraining evil? You ever been in the workplace and someone says something and, and maybe they, they say something about God or they say something that's just really not good, uh, not pure, not kind or whatever, and they, then they stop and they go, oh, my apologies, I forgot you were a Christian. Now we've heard that, right? You know what that means? You're restraining evil. So you're actually standing in the place of restraining evil. Now to you, you might think, well, you know, I don't know why they don't respect me more. No, they are respecting you a lot. It doesn't feel like a lot to you, and you're expecting quick change. You're expecting them to fall on their knees and become a Christian in that moment. No, 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 no. You are restraining evil. Do you realize just your presence walking around planet Earth is restraining evil? Because you are carrying with you the, the spirit of Almighty God everywhere you go, and when you, when you take it to another level, you open your mouth and you begin to talk about the God that's in you. Now you're restraining even more evil. You say, but, but people oppose me. We don't really know what opposition is in America, do we? Do we really? I mean, if we think about the global church and what the global church goes through, the persecuted church goes through, to just try to worship, and we don't, we don't have that contention what we have is a mild irritation, not contention. And what I want us to understand, and we're, we're, we're going through a process where we're trying to deepen our walk with God and, 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 and force our, if we have to force our commitment to Christ to a new level, is to really take a big picture. What does it mean to really be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ? And do you want to be one? I think most Christians are content to not go to that level. Just, you know, give me a nice little message, something that'll kind of get me through the week, and give me another one next week. And you know what? That's better than nothing. But what would happen if you became kind of a fire-breathing, and I don't mean condemning, but just kind of like filled with the Holy Spirit of God testimony everywhere you went of Jesus Christ. My guess is you would contend with evil on a greater level. My guess is that more people would be interested in God, more people would get saved, more people would get healed, more people would love the God that you love. But they're not gonna do that if you're quiet and you're not living out the presence of God in your daily life. So we have to push the envelope a little bit and get out of our comfort zone for God to really be seen and known in our life, amen? So we've talked a little bit about the underground church and we're gonna reenact an underground church experience for you. It's going to be on December 5th if you wanna mark that on your calendar. We're gonna limit the number of people that can come to that. You're gonna have to make reservations for it. Uh, if you're late for it, you'll be interrogated by one of our security guard who'll make sure you're really a believer. You'll check your phones in at the door, and uh, you're gonna be in for a great experience, um, and I don't mean just teaching, but we're gonna teach you about discipleship, but it's gonna be a great experience overall for you to really grasp what it means to be a part of, uh, in a little way, of the underground church. We're gonna show you video, we're gonna have some deep teaching, prayer, it's gonna be spontaneous, and it's gonna be exciting. I really, really believe it will be, and I know a lot of you are gonna be disappointed. You're gonna be knocking on the door like the parable, you know, uh, in the Bible, you know, let me in, let me in. No, I'm sorry, it's too late. You are not found worthy. 
Just kidding, just kidding. But it's going to be a great time. You'll hear more about that, and we'll promo that a little bit with some with some uh, videos and different media uh, things. Let's talk about what's essential to discipleship. First thing is why do we have discipleship? Because the command of Jesus. I mean, Jesus wasn't looking for a bunch of lukewarm people to follow him, was he? He he didn't say, hey, come follow me if you got nothing better to do. Hey, come follow me, you know, if you want to. He said, no, if you follow me, then follow me. If you love me, love me with all your heart. If you love me, keep my commandments. Hey, but don't be surprised if people don't aren't crazy about you because guess what? They've hated me. They might hate you too. And you have to ask yourself the question, if I'm not getting any pushback at all, am I presenting the cross? Is a cross getting out there somehow that that's the only way for man to be saved? Now, you know, the Bible says that uh, for the world says that the cross is foolishness. Well, what's the big deal with the cross? Why would God even do that? And we understand who know God, understand that our sins were worthy of death, but Jesus died in our place so we wouldn't have to die for our sins. That's good news, amen? Uh, a second thing is that the times in which we live, hey, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's not exactly getting easier, and I don't mean just in America, but I mean worldwide, to be a believer. Persecution of the global church has gone up about 30% in the last year. We don't really see it quite as much, but around the world, it's pretty amazing what's happening and how hard it is to really press into the kingdom. But you know, every time there's persecution, the church seems to get stronger and not weaker. When your muscles are pressed hard, they get stronger, and your spiritual muscles are the same way. But also, the losses of mankind is why we should be a disciple. We owe the world a powerful testimony of what, is, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we, we need to bring that message in every sector of society. In your business sector, you need to be bringing the message of Christ. And I don't mean in an obnoxious way. I don't mean, you know, being odd and weird. I mean being supernaturally natural, waiting for that moment or taking that initiative to bring Christ into that situation, to find a way to be as innocent as a dove, right? But somehow you're going to be like as cunning as a fox, All right, I like to call it Jehovah Sneaky. You're gonna get into the inner workings of people's lives with the kingdom of God and the love of God, amen? All right, let's talk about the four goals of biblical discipleship. And uh, again, this is on your app. This is in the book, so you don't have to write it down if you don't want to. You can find it there. But the first goal is this one. We want to establish the believer in the word of God. We want every one of you to be able to say, here's my Bible, I know how it works, I'm not saying you know the whole Bible. I'm just saying, you know, be able to navigate your way through it in such a way that you feel confident. That happens through discipleship. Second goal is to establish believers in fellowship with other believers. You know, you can't run a Lone Ranger Christianity. You can't just say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church or I don't believe in church. Now, obviously, I'm speaking, you know, to people who believe in church. You're here today. But think about the idea that that somehow you can have Christ without the church when Jesus died to establish the church. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Why do we need the church? Because we need each other. 
because you have gifts and talents, you have encouragement that you bring to one another. We like to, we like to represent that in our, in our link groups where you can get together in community and you can share and pray for one another and be there for one another uh, and just be the body of Christ to one another. The third goal is to establish a believer in the structure of the local church. And this is just talking about how does, why does the church work the way it does and how, where do we get this idea? And so when you look into the word of God, you, can, you, you see that as being, begins to work its way out in, in, in scripture. And then the fourth goal, and this one sounds like the first one, but it's really quite different, to establish every believer in a ministry of the word of God. Now, if you serve in one of our teams, we thank you so much for that. What we'd also like you to do is have a ministry of the Word of God where you can take and teach people the Word of God. You say, well, I don't know much about the Word of God. Well, go through discipleship training. You're gonna know more. Go work yourself through the book or say, hey, I need to be discipled before I can do that, and that may be the case. Okay, but then you have, you can take the material and you can teach somebody else and give you a ministry of the Word. You say, well, I don't know that much. Well, here's my, here's my definition of discipleship. Find somebody that knows less than you and teach them what you know. Hey, isn't that easy? There's always somebody who knows less than you do. Just find that one. And then when you're discipling, they're gonna go like, I can't believe how much you know. You, why you know the word of God so well, and you're just going, yeah, right, I'm just trying to barely keep it up. I'm, 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 I'm dog paddling right now to keep up with you. But, but you see, the idea is that in studying and in presenting, guess what you do? You grow. Have you ever noticed that? When you teach somebody something, you grow exponentially in your understanding and you're reading the word. You're in it. You're in it all the time. It's like our children's ministry on Tuesday night. You know, they're, they're in a, a scripture memory process and some of these kids are learning, you know, two or three scriptures or more a week. A week. Not a month, not a lifetime. A week. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I wasn't learning scripture. Hey, wait a minute. When I was in high school, I wasn't learning scripture. Because I wasn't in church. Imagine where, what's gonna happen if you start pouring in the word of God and the principles of God in your life and then you grow into adulthood and now you've got this reservoir that you can pull from, the Holy Spirit can use in your life to teach other people the word of God. Now let's review the, the uh, chart from, and this is gonna take us into the message today. This is the chart we showed last week and uh, let me just walk you through it a little bit. If this is the first time you've seen it, then I'm gonna walk you through it uh, as slowly as we can given the time we have. But think about the first part there is called the church age. And that's the idea that we live in a time before the return of Christ and this is where the church is on earth and the church is contending for the kingdom. We are actively trying to bring people into the kingdom of God. We're actively trying to teach people about the things of God. And in those two, two chapters that are listed there, two and three, we have the seven churches of Asia Minor, and they kind of represent what church is like in different periods of time. Now, you'll notice there's an arrow that goes up there in a word called rapture. This is our subject last week. If you missed the sermon, you can go back and listen to it. But it talks about how we're going to meet the Lord in the air. This is the church, the true church. You're not the true church just because you go to church. You're the true church because you have been born again into the kingdom, and your life has been transformed by the power of God. And we can't make that easy. It's faith, it's, it's free gift of God, but it can't be easy believism. It has to be a true conversion that leads to a transformation in our life, amen? All right, so then we enter into this period of a tribulation on the earth. 
And people have referred to the Great Tribulation. We're gonna show you the difference between the Great Tribulation and the Tribulation here in a minute. But there's a tribulation on the earth where a figure by the name of the Antichrist is free to basically run uh, rampant across earth, controlling every buying and selling by a mark on either the forehead or on the hand. You've heard about that. Uh, we're not gonna deal a lot with that today, but we're just gonna kind of introduce it. And then at the end of that period of time, you'll notice there's something called the appearing. That's the second coming of Christ. Now, let's see if this marker works. Oh, perfect. Can you see that? Beautiful. Okay. So this is a tribulation period. And halfway through it, it changes to the great tribulation. You can find this in Matthew 24. Okay. So what we have right here is we have, on that diagram, we have the rapture. Right here, we have the battle of Armageddon. You've all heard about that battle. Second coming of Christ, comes right at the end of that, and then we go into the millennial reign here. All right, so what, when we begin to look at this, we say, all right, who's going into this period? Well, this is, this is all the unbelievers are in here. Some people actually uh, hold to a, a position that Christians are gonna go into this, but they will leave before the great tribulation begins. This is not a this is a matter of interpretation. It's a, not a matter of orthodoxy. And what I mean by that is you can hold that view. That's fine. I hold a different view. And if you want to hold that, if you want to go through the tribulation, go. All right. <laughs> like, uh, like one Southern preacher said, when God sends tribulation, he expects his people to tribulate. But anyway, um, so tribulation, it intensifies. The reason it intensifies here is because this is when the mark of the beast is introduced. That's Revelation chapter 13. So if you're taking notes, you wanna jot that down. Uh, this gives you a little insight into what's happening there. We may look at that passage. We'll see what kind of time we have left today. Um, but now you kind of get a, a big picture of what's happening there. Now what I wanna do is I wanna kind of get a little intense and, and look at uh, a scripture from 2 Thessalonians. Are you ready? Two people are ready. I'm so excited. I waited all week for two people to go, yes. Are you ready? Yes. Oh, that's, wow. Wow, it's like y'all got saved in four seconds. All right. Okay, so 2 Thessalonians, I'm gonna walk you through, and I just photocopied a page out of my Bible to make it easy for you because you may not have your Bible, and, and this will kind of help you understand how I study it. So let's go to verse one. And he says, now brethren. So when he says to brethren, he's saying, he's writing to Christians, right? concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's the second coming. So if you have your Bible or you're taking notes, just mark down there, second coming. Uh, and our gathering together with him, that's rapture. We ask you not to soon be shaken. Okay, realize that before Christ comes back, there's gonna be a lot of opportunities for you to get rattled in your faith. Somebody's gonna come up to you and say, oh, we are one of those Christians, you believe in that, right? And then they're gonna drop some evidence that they have, or they're gonna tell you about some philosopher who has a different view, and you go, and then they'll say, like, have you heard of Kierkegaard? And go, no, I can't even spell Kierkegaard. What does that have to do with this? Stay with the subject, stay with the subject, stay in the word of God, all right? He says, don't be shaken in mind. Where does the enemy attack your mind? What did that guy say? Maybe he's right. And you go home and you worry about it. 
No, no, protect your mind against the onslaughts of the enemy. Don't be troubled. So now your emotions have jumped into the game. Your mind's spinning. Your emotions, oh, I don't know. Am I believing the right stuff? What's going on here? And look what he says. How you, how's that gonna come to you? In your troubling emotionally or mentally, it says by a spirit, and this is not the Holy Spirit. This is an evil spirit, demonic spirit that's disrupting your peace. Or by a word, someone says, hey, let me tell you something that I found out. Or someone writes you a letter. Don't let your mind, your emotions get out of whack here as if it's from us, okay, as though the day of Christ had come. So the day of Christ, okay, is here, the day of Christ. This here is called the day of the Lord. They're different. When you see that in your Bible, the day of the Lord or the day of Christ, the day of the Lord is always a day of judgment. The day of Christ is always a day of encouragement and joy and power, so if you know that much, when you're studying your Bible, you go, okay, wait a minute, I got it. Whenever I see day of the Lord, that's a judgment thing. Whenever I see day of Christ, that's gonna be a good thing, a positive thing for believers. Okay, let no one deceive you. Well, who would wanna deceive me? You'd be surprised. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Which day? Okay, this day is not gonna come. There's gonna be a falling away and all of a sudden this stuff's gonna start happening. Do we see people falling away from the faith today? Yes, we do, and we've always seen that. Are we seeing more than, than usual? I don't know if we are or not. But what the Bible talks about is gonna be a great falling away where people are literally gonna say, no God for me, no Jesus for me, because what's happening is evil begins to get loose on the earth in a new level than we we haven't experienced before in our lifetime. So it says here, what's happening is gonna be a falling away that comes. A lot of people are gonna say, I don't believe in Jesus. And the man of sin is revealed. Now the man of sin, if you're taking notes, that's the Antichrist. Man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So he's called by both those terms. He's also called the Antichrist. Why is he called that? Here's why. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. What's the Antichrist gonna do? He says, I'm God. I oppose everything that you've been studying, everything that you've been reading, and he sits as God in the temple of God. Now, here's what's really interesting. There is no Jewish temple right now in Jerusalem, is there? In its place, there is a, a Muslim mosque. So if there's gonna be a temple there, the mosque has to move. Some people think they can come alongside of it. I don't think that's gonna really happen, do you? What we do know is prior to all of this, and just this is for you who want to study a little bit more, Ezekiel 38 and 39 talks about a battle that comes up against God's people in Israel. And it says that God brings judgment and every wall in Jerusalem falls. So here's what I believe. I believe that judgment that's coming, that battle is coming in Ezekiel 38, 39, Prior to this, every wall will fall and that, that mosque will slide down into the Jezreel Valley. It'll then be rebuilt under a, a covenant of peace that will be made by the Antichrist with the Jewish people of that time. They'll build a temple and then it says in Revelation 13 that the Antichrist will suffer a wound to the head and he appears to be dead, but he comes back to life. When he comes back to life, 
He then introduces Revelation 13, the mark of the beast. When he does that, he takes his seat in the temple and thus begins the great tribulation on planet Earth. So now it intensifies because of those things. And that's where it says that no one can buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast on either their hand or on their forehead. We could speculate how that's gonna work and how that happens, but that's for another subject. Here's what he says. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? What's he referring to? He's referring to the first book of Thessalonians. We're in the second book, right? So if I really want to get a good picture of this, what do I do? I read 1 Thessalonians, and then I read 2 Thessalonians. Kind of makes sense, right? Okay, don't get ahead of yourself, in other words. All right? Now that you know, now, um, and now you know what is restraining. What's restraining evil in our world is the Holy Spirit. What's restraining evil in this world is you. You are a restrainer of evil. You're a doer of good. And that's bringing a positive impact on planet Earth, even if you don't, you're not even aware what you're doing. And it says here that he may be revealed in his own time. Do you see that word time? Well, in the Greek language, there's two different words for time. One means kind of the, the clock, I mean the calendar, and it's the word chronos, chronology. The other word's kairos. The word kairos means an exact time designed by God for a purpose. Kairos moment, God says, when I've came to a certain place in my plan, then I'm going to release uh, him to do what he does. Verse seven, for the mystery of lawlessness, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Have you ever said, why do people do bad things? Anybody ever said that? Why are people so bad? Why are people so evil? You know, it's so shocking that the news reports only negative stuff. Have you noticed that? So why don't they report some good stuff? Because it's a mystery to them why people do bad. If it, were, if it were from a Christian perspective, what would we do? We would have all good news because it's shocking that people do good things. Right? Because we kind of know. It's a different philosophy, a different way of looking at life. See, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? But what does the world say? Everybody's good, and if they're bad, they just need a better education or more money. So let's just give them your money, and then they'll be fine. Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about. Okay, all right. So it's a mystery of lawlessness. It's already working. So when, when Paul was writing, this already was going on there, and only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So what's gonna happen? The presence of the Holy Spirit's gonna step back. The world will then be free to do what the world wants to do, and that is anything they want. Can you imagine unrestrained evil? A few years ago, I was asked to be a part of a, uh, a program on the History Channel, and uh, I was gonna be the biblical representative of what's the world gonna look like in the future. And they had all different kind of people they interviewed for this thing. They had an astrophysicist from UCLA, and they had some different people that had different worldviews. And, and I remember uh, the interviewer, I was getting to the, toward the end of the interview. It was about a four-hour interview where he was just asking me questions, you know, and just one after another. And, and then he said to me, what scares you? And I wasn't prepared for the question. And I said, when lawlessness is free to reign on planet Earth, when there's no restraints of evil, that's what scares me. And he was visibly shaken 
by that comment. And he asked me afterwards, could I talk to you about that? And I think when you think about without restraint, I mean, we've watched where riots and different things have broken out in different parts of cities around the world, and we think, wow, thank God I'm not there. But remember, what if that was normal in every city simultaneously around the world and there was no place to escape? That's the tribulation. That's what's going on during that time. It says here in verse eight, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So when will he be revealed? He'll be revealed right here. He's revealed, but he's not gonna come across like as a negative person. He's gonna be the most winsome, um, charismatic, diplomatic, bright person planet Earth has ever seen, except he will be anti-God, completely anti-God. It says he will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. Now, you notice that it doesn't give you the time frame. So when's he gonna consume him with the breath of his mouth? Down here, second coming. Chapter 19, Revelation, second coming, verse 11. So ultimately, evil will be put down, but there's a short window there where of seven years, which won't seem short at all, until he's running evil. So, so lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. What coming is that? That's the second coming. You see how this works? If you kind of work through the, the verses little at a time and kind of think about them, they, they really do make a lot of sense. It's not so hard. Okay, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Oh, well, how's he gonna work? Notice what he says, all power, signs, and lying wonders. Does that sound familiar? Power signs, wonders. Does this sound familiar? Yeah, because Satan counterfeits everything that God does. God gives us power and he gives us signs and wonders. Satan says, let me counterfeit that so I can trick people into believing that I'm him. And with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of, and look at the definite article in front of the word truth, the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's say it again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the truth. But now watch that, what, what happens here. Verse 11, and for this reason, God will send them a, a strong delusion. Why? That they should believe the lie. They turned away from God, and so on one hand, you see there's the truth, on the other hand, there's what? The lie. It's not a lie. The lie is man doesn't need God. The truth is man needs God. There's really only two camps here. The truth, the lie. And you're gonna be in one or the other. And so he's laying out for the Thessalonians here what they need to know in preparation for their future. Now let's talk about the day of Christ. The day of Christ, okay? Got it? Philippians chapter one and verse six. I'm confident, he says, of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you know that God who began to work in you the day that you believed in Christ, he's gonna keep working in your life every day? You know, you know, he's shaping your future. You don't even know it. He's shaping your heart. He's increasing your love all the time and you may not even feel it or know it. But he's, what he's doing, he's bringing you in. He says, and I'm confident this is gonna keep going on until you meet him in the air. 
Philippians 1.10, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. You know what happens when the Spirit of God's in you? You look at stuff, you go, that's good. You, you're able to discern between good and evil. You go, that's good. Why? Because Christ is in you. Amen? In order to be sincere and blameless. So what happens is when Christ is in me, I have a sincerity about me, about the kingdom, and guess what? I'm blameless. Does that mean sinless? No, he says blameless. You get blamed for something, what do you do? You confess, you ask forgiveness, and you move forward. That's blamelessness, okay? Sinlessness is you never sinned. Anybody in that camp? I don't think so. If you raise your hand, put it down quickly. Philippians chapter two, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. Hold on to the word of life. Don't let it get away from you so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So what do you do? What's the strategy for the end times? You hold on to the word of God. Don't be deceived. Stay to the fight that you have that God has given you. 1 Corinthians 1.8, who shall also confirm you to the end? How'd you like to be confirmed by God? I'd like to stand before God and goes, yes, that's my son, that's my daughter. Good job, well done, you did it right. Oh, but I messed up a lot. Yes, you did. But you got it right a lot of the time too. Don't be so hard on yourself. You're human, you're imperfect. Shouldn't be an excuse, it's just an explanation. Amen? Hey, are you making progress? That's the key. That's the key. If you look back in your life, you've made no progress the last five years, you need to start making some progress. You got some catching up to do, amen? Look at your neighbor. You got some catching up to do. Tell him you got some catching up to do, okay. Let me jump to this thought in Acts chapter one and verse uh, seven and eight. Because the timing always belongs to the Lord. Whatever you do, the timing belongs to the Lord, right? Timing in your life. Why didn't you get saved earlier? Have you ever thought about that? Has that thought ever came to you? Well, because nobody told me. That could be. It could have been that God had to position things in your life in a certain way to make you hungry and thirsty for God. I really don't know, but I do know one thing. God's timing is God's timing. Have you ever wondered why some people get away from God and then they finally come back? You know, they're out there preparing their testimony, right? They're out there like, oh, man, this guy's going to have a good testimony when he gets back, right? You know? And why, why does God bring him back at a certain time? What's going on? Do you remember the story uh, of the prodigal son? The prodigal son goes to his father and he says, hey, I want my share of the inheritance now before you die. Pretty bold ask, right? I know what I'd tell my kids. Forget it. I'm spending everything I got so you don't get it at the end, right? No, but he said, and the father, what does he do? Father says, okay, here's half of it. You get, you get your half, your brother's gonna get the other half. And what does the prodigal do? He doesn't invest it wisely. He goes out and it says he blows it all on riotous living. I really don't know what riotous living is, but I would translate it as a good time. Right, the old boy's having a good time out there, spending daddy's money, and then he does what? He runs out of money. He's out of money, now all the friends are gone, all the money's gone. 
So he doesn't know what to do, so he takes a job. The only job he can find is working in a pig pen. Now, what makes the story even better is he's a Jewish boy. Are you with me on this one? He's working with the things they couldn't eat, and he's observing. It says he's watching, and he says, I realize that the pigs are eating better than I'm eating. Right? In fact, my servants back at my dad's place, the servants are eating better than I'm eating. What have I done? Now, watch what happens. It's... It's right in the scripture there. It says, and he came to his senses. That's when you go from being dumb to smart. He did dumb and dumber for a long time. Then he got smarter and smarter because he came to his senses. What brought him to his senses? I think it was two things. I think it was how bad things got, he hit bottom, and the power of the Spirit of God in that moment. And I think you need both. What's, how do I know if it's God's time? Is your heart drawn to him? It's God's time. Is your heart soft? You say, I want to follow him more closely, more deeply? Then it's God's time. Let God work in you in a way that just, just amazes everyone around you. Your testimony doesn't have to go on for another two years of how bad things are. It can change like that, Amen. You can just radically go, I'm gonna follow Jesus now. Yeah, but all the stuff I've done. Hey, last time I read the book, it said he puts everything behind him. You start fresh every morning. Hey, that's good news for everybody in this room, amen? I mean, nobody wants to, hey, let's just talk about everybody's bad stuff. Who wants to go first? No, we don't want that. How about God looking at us saying, you know what? I put all your sins behind me. The prophet says, and you've put my sins to the bottom of the ocean. And Billy Graham said one time, and he put a no fishing sign over the ocean. God wants you to enjoy your future. God wants you to live into the future. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, listen to this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Everything, you know, what's God waiting for? Waiting for, waiting for it. God's time, God's time, God's time. Everything works in God's time. It's we who don't understand God's time who get frustrated with God's time and think he's slow. That's what it says here. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. You know what that means? God's patient. He says, I love you so much, I'm gonna delay and delay and delay. Would you come now? Are you listening now? not willing that any should perish. You know, no Christian should say, I want Jesus to come back now and just wipe out this world. That's not a Christian viewpoint. God, would you delay your coming so we can bring more people to faith in Christ? God, would you delay your coming so we can love more people? Would you delay your coming so we can serve you more? God, do I want it, or do I want you to come now? Yes, but God, but for the sake of everyone on planet Earth, I want you to delay, 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 that all should come to repentance. Hey, I'm glad the Lord delayed long enough for me to come into the kingdom. How about you? Amen? Amen? Let's use our time wisely. Let's let's tell people about the love of God. 
Yeah, there's some end time events that are pretty scary, but guess what? We've got today. Amen? We've got today. Your friend, who do you need to call when you leave here today? Say, hey, I just want to tell you about Jesus. I just want to tell you I love you. Who do you need to write? Who do you need to witness to? What do you need to do to, to, to just be a stronger presence of good in the place where you live and work? Amen? Let's stand together. Father, as we stand, we, we stand believing, God, that you are a great God who loves us so much. And we pray, Lord, that you would just take the message that we've given today, God, that you would just apply it to our hearts, that you would be honored and glorified, Father, that we could just be drawn into being stronger and better and greater disciples of yours, Father. I think all of us would just want to say, Jesus, we love you. Thank you for being patient with each one of us. Thank you for delaying your coming long enough for us to come into the kingdom. And now, God, we take our responsibility seriously to lift up the name of Christ, to bring you glory and honor and praise, to magnify you, Father, in everything that goes on, that, God, people might come to know you the way we know you. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.